Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. We all know Gen Z is the most connected generation. But Snapchat is also seeing them change the future of communication as we know it. Not only is the Snapchat generation building more personal connections with brands through vertical video, they're also using augmented reality to discover and experience new products. You can meet the Snapchat generation and learn more about them by visiting snapchat.com generation. That's snapchat.com generation. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. It's the Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor with Adweek. And I'm Ko Im. I'm the community editor at Adweek. And we have today not just one, but two Gen Z guests. First, we have our very own Julian Gamboa. Hi, Julian. Hi, Ko. Hi, David. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> uh, Julian, this is like, I, I am so excited for this. Julian is... Uh, a one of my absolute favorite people to weigh in on all things advertising. Uh, and when he was hired on at Adweek, uh, just made my absolute year. And he has been such a tremendous addition, which I'm sure we will talk about in a bit. But welcome, Julian. Thank you so much, David. Four years of listening. Still going strong. <laughs> yeah, four years of listening. At first time on the podcast. And also we have Emma Havagorst of Generation Slay. Hi, Emma. Hi, I'm so, so excited to be on. I also have quite a few years of listening under my belt, and this feels very surreal to be in it now. We're so happy to have you, Generation Slay being your uh, Gen Z podcast. And it's not your first time um, connecting with our team because, David, there's a backstory here, right? Yeah, so Emma was part of our, for, for frequent listeners, uh, like our guests today, um, will remember that for April Fool's this year, it was a weird April Fool's, right? Like we didn't want to pull any kind of weird negative, uh, potentially negative stunts. So instead, we decided to positively surprise people by um, asking people like Emma to come on to a call with me uh, and to talk about kind of some career obstacles or just how they were feeling about their careers. And then we surprised them with VIP guests. And Emma, if I remember right, we paired you with Wendy Clark. Yes, she continues to be so amazing. We are still in communication. She's been so helpful. And I just like that still is a highlight of my life. It's such a wonderful surprise. It was so fun. And Wendy has been uh, a huge champion of you. She uh, talks about you, mentions you all the time. What a what a great conversation that was. And she continues to stump for you. For those who don't know, Wendy Clark was the CEO of DDB and is now the incoming uh, CEO of Dentsu Aegis, uh, the very large uh, agency global agency network. Uh, good connection to have. So I'm glad you guys have kept up. But more importantly, I'm just really glad you could come onto the show because we're going to be talking about Gen Z, um, which is a 
a big topic, uh, but I think I think we just want to pause and really take stock of uh, folks like you and Julian uh, coming into the industry right now, and I would say also dramatically reshaping the industry as you go. And uh, we'll, we'll be getting into kind of the differences of uh, Gen Z talent. And, and uh, I, but I would say on a personal level, as someone who's definitely older, I, I guess for accountability, I will say I'm, I'm soundly Gen X. Um, Co, I'm, you're a millennial, right? I'm an elder millennial <laughs> with the mindset of gonna... a boomer. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I was telling one of my coworkers the other day, I was like, something got wrong when I was created. I got dropped into the wrong like time stream because I have the brain and the interests of Gen Z and then like the body of a World War One veteran, you know, so... <laughs> It's just like, like I'm just out of sync uh, with my reality. Um, but we'll be talking about what are some of the, the stereotypes and just the uh, kind of ideas that people have of Gen Z, how accurate do we think those are, um, vers- and what really separates millennials uh, from Gen Z and, and other generations in terms of their life experience growing up uh, and then what they bring to the workforce. Uh, before we get into all that, um, Emma, tell us about your podcast. Yeah, so I am the host of Generation Slay, which is a podcast where I have the pleasure of interviewing Gen Z creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs who are doing amazing things in their fields. So I keep it super open, and it's just very conversational, very fun, and you kind of get to learn a lot of different career paths and different things that are accessible and are happening within this younger generation where people may not be expecting to have, you know, incredibly well-renowned published photographers within, you know, their college, right? They're 19, but they're being published in incredible magazines or, you know, they're creating incredible businesses that are being backed by VCs and investors. And so just being able to have those conversations and really, open up Gen Z and people who are doing such incredible things to a wider audience is just, it's such a passion of mine. And so that's what I do. I really think of Gen Z as the creator generation, right? And you almost have role models within your generation. For me, you know, I had always looked up to um, the generation above, but I'm so impressed by um, the Gen Z creators um, who have amassed so much of a following on various platforms, continue to really, really, really follow their passions and make it profitable. Um, it, it's really amazing. So that's interesting. Um, you know, for, for anyone who wants the marker, Gen Z is anyone who's basically born 95 and past that. Um, so what they're also coming up to um, is, you know, the recession right now. Um, And I think that's something we have to grapple with. But what are some other um, characteristics, would you say, that you've seen, um, Emma first and then Julian, um, among Gen Z marketers? Yeah. So for me, I think a lot lies within just the idea that Gen Z is incredibly innovative and has always been. Also, there's that inherent just digital connection and understanding because of the time frame within when Gen Z really started and grew up, for me, I really incorporate the perspective of like world events in that. So if you think about like how young a lot of Gen Z was when 
you know, like 9-11 happened, for example, like a lot of millennials existed in the world before there was such an intense focus on heightened security and everything being locked down and everyone being so aware of that. Whereas most of Gen Z grew up after that. And that was their foundation of childhood was after everything got locked down and security risks were so heightened and everyone was so cautious. So I think that really just considering that and as well, considering obviously that everyone has grown up inherently being on the internet, like some of my childhood games were internet-based rather than being board games. I was on Webkins. I wasn't playing Twister. Like that's just the way it was. So I think kind of interconnecting those two makes someone who is incredibly digitally aware, but also incredibly aware of the world around them and how they need to exist in that world and portray themselves correctly, but also understanding that there's a much bigger global scale to everything, which I think is a very unique perspective. And I think one that will continue throughout future generations, but is very new to Gen Z because of the state of the world circumstances that they grew up in. Yeah, and I, and I feel like Julian can speak to this aspect as well, but something I've been thinking about leading up to this conversation is that millennials were often discussed as the first internet native, uh, you know, natively, natively online generation. And that's true. Like, uh, just to give a kind of a sense of the timeline, like I was in high school in the 90s, and the web was brand new, like literally as in like, I think maybe my junior year, like, was the first time you could access the web, uh, you know, in any real normal available environment. And so for us, being online was kind of a late in life thing. Uh, you were already a teenager or older. For millennials, they were online pretty much their whole lives. But I would say there's an important distinction. And Julian, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, that that they weren't in a fully formed internet yet. They did not live in this world where Twitter, Instagram, Facebook were kind of established, where YouTube was established. You know, those things were still evolving uh, when millennials were growing up. And so they may have been on MySpace or Tumblr or some of these other platforms that kind of came and went along the way. But to Emma's point, the rules of the road, the the long-term implications of the stuff that you posted online weren't really obvious yet. Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, just like Emma said, like, for us, we have always been, like, at a phone, with a phone at hand. It's been... Similar to like, we've been used to chat rooms, let's say like, uh, just as Emma said, uh, webcams or like in my case, Club Penguin, we've always been connected to other people, right? And with us, like, I feel like Gen Z is more of a digital nomad. Uh, we adapt to all of the new platforms that are coming. I, when Farmville became a thing, I jumped from MySpace to Facebook, like without a doubt. So um, we're definitely used to, to performing into new platforms and giving it a try, hence why the mostly TikTok was used to being just like, oh, it's just their, the Gen Z audience. TikTok is just for Gen Z. And now we look at it and everybody's in there, right? Everybody's not only just creating, but watching. And that's definitely like within the, the ability for Gen Z to, to transfer themselves or like move onto other platforms. I feel like now's a good time to give an important caveat, which is maybe obvious, but I always like to give it, is that when you talk about generations, you talk in these very broad uh, sweeping strokes, right? <laughs> and, and like, I can definitely say I don't necessarily identify with many aspects of what are considered part of my generation. I think other than uh, listening to Nirvana in high school and having a crush on Winona Ryder, I probably did not really fit into a lot of the stereotypes, uh, or at least I like to think so. That said, uh, I'm curious 
curious, what are some of the stereotypes that you think are out there, uh, Emma and Julian, about Gen Z, and how accurate do you think they are? I mean, and, and I'm sure you're a bit more sensitive than I am to when you hear those, when people say them as if they are a matter of fact, like, well, this is what Gen Z likes, or this is what they're into, or this is how they behave. Emma, what, what have you seen, for better or worse, uh, being kind of ascribed to Gen Z? I mean, I think that my biggest one, which I think is both very true and very false somehow at the same time, is that Gen Z is just like addicted to their devices and always on their phones and computers. And I don't necessarily think that that's incorrect in the fact that we are very constantly plugged in online and to socials. But I think that the concept that we're addicted or we can't unplug or that it's an inherently negative thing that's separating you from real life, that's the part that I have a problem with because I think that, you know, to Julian's point earlier, we are digital nomads, right? So we're very able to transfer between platforms, but also between quote unquote real life and online. And because the full spans of the web has existed as long as we've grown up, we don't have that divide between what quote unquote real life is and what online life is. So I think that just the inherent negative stereotype of like being online constantly and that, you know, in some ways making real life friendships or real life connections less possible. I think that's one of the biggest and most frequent stereotypes that I see that I just don't think is correct because I think online and quote unquote real life is inherently connected and the same to Gen Z. That was interesting about, um, you know, this time of quarantine was experts saying that Gen Z was gener- generation built for um, this time because, you know, they didn't feel like they were missing out and the way they were communicating was already digital first anyways. Um, I want to bring up the positive stereotypes that um, our fellow, not our fellow, but our intern, um, Kayla Mathis wrote for a story on Adweek and, um, you know, for shoppers, they said, for Gen Z, focus on taking action on diversity and equality efforts, practice safe testing, environmentally sustainable production and fair employment practices, and utilize celebrities and influencers in marketing. I mean, the idea, um, Emma, you brought up kind of um, the the global awareness, but the idea that um, Gen Z is more civically minded, Julian, would you say that that's um, something, you know, that's still a positive stereotype. I mean, the millennials are known as um, negatively as the me generation, right? So what about Gen Z? Um, Is that something that's serving you all? Yeah, definitely. And I think we saw this recently with um, that one Latin American brand um, that Trump endorsed, right? So as soon as I saw that a lot of my friends on, on Facebook took it to like, hey, don't buy this brand because of their current support and like what their their tech team is doing. And it, it really does drive home a point because we do see more beyond just a product. We do value, we do take into consideration what where their money is going for uh, towards. So for example, like those Nike ads supporting Colin Kaepernick or, or the, the ads featuring Serena Williams, like all of those are super important to us because 
if we're giving away our dollars, we don't want it to go into something that may worsen our current situation, if to say. So we definitely do take into consideration where these dollars are going, our, our dollars are going into. And oftentimes I find myself taking a little bit of time uh, going into uh, their Twitter feed, making sure to see like, is this a brand I can support? I don't feel like Gen Z, or at least I'm not as loyal as perhaps other generations may be. Um, just because I grew up with a brand doesn't mean I, I want to continue to support it. So I do take into consideration their efforts, like their CRMs and stuff like that. Right. Uh, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll be back in just a moment. We're all wondering about the future, but there's an entire generation already creating positive change in the world and they're urging brands to do the same. Meet the Snapchat generation and learn more about them by visiting snapchat.com generation. That's snapchat.com generation. I have to tell you guys my favorite uh, joke I've seen, I think on Twitter, about Gen Z. And I mean, obviously it's a joke, uh, <laughs> but it still cracks me up where they said like, Gen Z will be too nervous to call a dentist's office to set up an appointment, but they will body slam a cop. <laughs> <laughs> I... <laughs> and you know, I think that's a it, it's it's accurate in this way of like, um, and I think this is true of a lot of people. But what I love about younger folks today, meaning you know late teens, twenties, uh, is that they are brave in a, in a way that I have not seen in my lifetime. Like that, so many generations have left it to someone else. Like my parents' generation marched in the streets. You know, they they did. You know, they fought for civil rights. They fought for uh, women's rights. You know, and all this. And I remember growing up being like, "Wow, what a crazy time!" I can't imagine people protesting. I can't imagine like civil unrest. And then, and I just remember wondering, like, would I have the bravery to do that? Would I be one of those people who's out, uh, you know, in the streets fighting for civil rights? And then all of a sudden, we find out. And and I really do think Gen Z is leading that charge, both online and in person. I definitely think that's. So true. And I think a lot of it does kind of stem from that dialogue that started quite a few years back of like Gen Z is going to save us all. Like Gen Z is the savior. They understand, like they'll fix everything. And while I don't love that narrative because we have a lot of years until we're in charge of everything and like the adults should fix some stuff now, um, I definitely think that that has a lot of impact on you know, how Gen Z sees themselves and the choices we make because we have that global awareness and we are so interconnected that we understand that every choice we make, every item we buy does have this greater impact and we understand that it does. So when it comes to things like climate change or Black Lives Matter, we know that every purchase we make, every company we choose to support if we go out on the streets, what we post online, it all is part of this greater mission. And I do think it kind of comes down to this idea of like, other people kind of haven't done things because things were fine. And now it's all bubbling up to the surface. And we're here and we're young. For people like me, I have some free time right now, <laughs> you know, you might as well do it because you don't know who else will if you don't. And I think that just all of these different factors within Gen Z that have contributed to us throughout growing up have ended in this place of conscious consumerism and being socially active and caring what brands do and what they align themselves with. 
Well, let, let me try to explain something that I was trying to talk through on Twitter the other day, but it's obviously it's a tight space uh, and easy to be, be misunderstood. But uh, someone, w- someone was complaining about ageism and about, about how younger people were ageist. Um, and, and I didn't know the example you know, of what they were talking about specifically. But I will say this, that when I've seen these kind of broad allegations of ageism, like, oh, Gen Z just thinks the rest of us are old and worthless. And then as someone who's older and, and debatably worthless, like, I, I think, like, I I kind of was taking stock of it, like, you know, we didn't improve anything. G- Gen X, like, I don't necessarily think we made anything worse but we definitely didn't make it better. Like we had our time, we had our decades in the industry, uh, in each, in every industry, right? And we made some incremental progress. But when you look at diversity, when you look at equality and pay equality and equity across the board, we didn't accomplish it. And so when I hear people complaining, and we left it in worse shape, a lot of the complaints I see people making about. Uh, Gen Z or people coming into the industry is, oh, they're not willing to work these salaries that we worked. They're not willing to do this that we did. I'm like, yeah, but they're coming into a completely different world where everything costs four times as much. And your likelihood of getting a house, your likelihood of paying off your debt, everything is so much harder. And, And I'm not just saying that to be sympathetic. It is one where I'm like, my generation, I don't think we, again, didn't make it worse, but we didn't make it better. Um, and so I feel like we failed you <laughs> as Gen X. Uh, that may that may give me some emails, but uh, but I stand by it. <laughs> I mean, that's such a stark difference, um, David. Even in your hmm, admittedly apologetic tone, and then that's in stark contrast to the confidence that Emma referenced, right? But uh, there's. Um, there's always like a good part in both of that, right? The confidence can help propel you into action, but so can the apology, right? And the recognition. So I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, I want to move towards, you know, uh, when Gen Z kind of grows up, but they're not there yet. Um, So Emma, I know that you just graduated and then you, you know, started your internship right away and you just finished your internship. You're trying to apply for jobs like heck and, um, you know, I, I wonder, you know, what kind of jobs that uh, Gen Z marketers are looking for? What are they looking for in the job, right? Um, and how they might want to contribute. And then, of course, I need to ask Julian. He's always busy. And I'm like, what are you doing? I want to know, like, all the stuff that he does, um, especially in social media marketing. So let's start with you, Emma. Yeah. So just for some additional context, I did graduate in May. Um, and literally the day after I turned in my last final, I started a 14 week long internship. So I graduated the weekend after I started working for the summer. Um, and I was so glad to be able to just hop into something and have something because I know that so many of my peers did lose summer positions or different positions that they were relying upon. Um, so now a week after my internship has ended, I'm in a very interesting place of searching for jobs in the current market. And it's definitely interesting because there's kind of, there are two different things I'm seeing. And to be quite honest, like from a new entrant into the job market perspective, it is a bit confusing in terms of seeing a dialogue of, take whatever you can get because there's not that much available and you can figure it out. You can work to get to the job you want 
from there, it's always possible. But then there's also the other hand of, you know what, everyone's in the same boat. So hold out and find the thing that you really want to do. And you can figure out how to hustle and get stuff together until then. So I definitely think that there's kind of two different approaches to what's happening in the job market for recent graduates, especially, you know, Gen Z graduates right now. Um, Personally, I think it's really interesting just the job openings I'm seeing. Obviously, you know, most agencies are not hiring at all across the board. And I've heard mostly that no one will be until like 2021, at least. Um, Whereas, you know, smaller companies may be hiring. There's a lot of social media based positions that I'm seeing open rather than marketing, branding or strategy based positions, just because I think Obviously, everything needs to be digital right now. There's not any physical brand presence. So I think that brands, if they're hiring for anything in the marketing realm, it's usually focused in that social media and digital space. Um, But the other thing just personally I'm seeing, and I tweeted it a few weeks ago because I found it really interesting, is that I'm seeing week over week job descriptions are adding more and more years of mandatory experience even though they're marked as entry-level associate or assistant positions. And I really think that personally, I think that that's just a factor of there being so many people within the job market that companies think that they can get more experience at a lower salary. I don't blame them for that. I get it. Financially, it makes sense. Um, But it's definitely making the market a very interesting place right now to apply for jobs. Julian, I'm I'm curious. Uh, you you seem to emerge so fully formed when you came out of college. Like I remember being shocked uh, how young you were when we you and I first started talking. Because I was like, oh, this guy's probably been in the industry for seven years. You know, it's just like you were so knowledgeable and so aware, and you were doing to to Coast Point. You're always doing a million things, but you were doing so many things back then. You were teaching. Uh, you were you know uh, like so. Tell us a bit about that about how you carved out the experience. To Emma's point of of you, you're competing with people who have or who have seven years sometimes of experience applying for entry level jobs. What did you do in your college experience in the years leading up to coming into the job market to kind of position yourself in the best possible place to get a job? I just want to also note that Julian has a great beard uh, for the <laughs> listener at home, and I keep thinking that like Julian is no baby nut. He, you know, he is, <laughs> I'm, I'm he celebrated his 21st birthday. Yes, like he totally is fully grown. <laughs> yes, I, I do love my beards, but um, yeah, to David's point. So I, I graduated from UC Berkeley in 2018. And there is a process where you go in as undecided if you, if you want. And then two years into your, your college years, you can apply to a business school, right? At the Walter A. Haas School of Business. So I applied. I didn't get in. Basically, Berkeley was like, you can't do marketing. And that was a big no for me. So I was like, okay, how can I make this work? Because I, I can't not do marketing. And this is where, uh, yeah, that's probably an ad comes into place. Like I started tuning into your podcast. They were like, I know your voice, word for word. Um, so definitely started listening to the podcast. I started a, a digital marketing course at Berkeley where... I taught 60 students on a weekly basis about the latest on social media marketing. 
And it was that drive of like people telling me what I couldn't do that I was like, okay, let me find a loophole. And then I did. I was like, maybe I'm not a student at the business school of business at the Walter A. Haas School of Business, but maybe I can be a student teacher. And that was a loophole. And that got me into that business school every week. And from there, I just started reaching out to like industry professionals. Like I think my first uh, industry mentor, and I, I'm always vocal and grateful for him, is Eric Tora. He's a, he's a Facebook right now. And he, he has taught me so much about like, how do you lead culture and not follow culture? Kind of like the Coca-Cola and Pepsi example. And that has taken me quite far and in ways how I approach campaigns and everything now at Adweek. So definitely the podcast has been amazing. Uh, so I like to joke with uh, Jameson, uh, our editor here at Adweek, how most of the required reading for the course, for my course, was Adweek reading. And it used to be like the syllabus and then the uh, assigned reading and it would be all Adweek. So I stand Adweek for life, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, definitely like keeping busy when, and kudos to, to Emma because unemployment at a pandemic is, it's a difficult task, right? Like it's, it's really hard time. And I graduated in 2018, but even then I, I submitted like 300 applications. I don't remember who posted it on Twitter, but they said like applying for jobs is a part-time job. And I couldn't agree more. Like it does take a long time to apply, to fill out all of the applications and then for some reason let me just vent for a little bit but i don't know why companies are like submit your resume in pdf and then type it out again mm -hmm. why is that a thing david <laughs> oh yeah yeah i i mean it's it, it what's and i i i don't want to tell you this um but i feel like it's important to be transparent uh, when i got out of college in 1999 um i I applied for three jobs and I got one of them um, because the market was just so desperate for for talent. You know, it's like the same with all of my friends, like no one had any trouble. It was just graduating at the height of the market was such, um, you know, at least of the job market was like such a great, it's one of those things that you don't take, that you really take for granted. I took a lot of things for granted in like coming into the, into my adult life, I guess around 2000. And where everything was just kind of easy and we hadn't hit and did not hit for another seven years, a really terrible economic collapse. Obviously, 9-11 uh, put a, you know, put a dent in everything, but, uh, it, you know, nationally, but nothing compared to until the 2007-2008 the economic collapse. But, you know, it's just, again, this is what I think of when people say, oh, these younger people today, they're not willing to do the work. I'm like, they are working 100 times harder to get a job than you did, probably. Uh, you know, and I think if you really pressed a lot of like 55 year olds about how hard they had to work to get their first job, they were not doing anywhere near the level of hustle, uh, that Julian's describing here. Yeah. And I mean, just to circle back real quick. So on my, after graduation, I took a month off. I disconnected from all social, like anything. It was just me time, take care of myself. And after that, it was three months of just submitting applications but I do want to highlight that even though job is definitely important and it may take, like I used to apply for jobs from 8 a.m. in the morning until 8 p.m. and then just the, the night was for me. But do take into consideration if you're applying for jobs right now, do take your mental health into consideration. Give yourself a break, celebrate little victories. Like I know that took a really big toll for me with bills and everything. But if, if you're currently in that situation where you're applying for jobs, 
it's okay. Take a breather. Uh, make sure your mental health is on check. Like reach out to friends. That's that's all very important in the process as well. I love that a lot. Um, that's such a good message, especially you know you, you it's like dating, right? Like dating is <laughs> also like a part time, full time job, and you get those rejections or you get ghosted, and it's really hard um, day after day. So I would add to that. Um, you know, I graduated from graduate school after the recession in 2009, and it took me a couple of months um, to to land somewhere. And I eventually did um, as a TV reporter. But um, even last year, I got um, laid off. And uh, what was helpful was taking on side projects. And I think for the millennials, I think of the millennials as the entrepreneurial generation, the side hustlers. Uh, maybe it's just because of the the groups of people that I I kind of hang out with. But um, you know, just finding different projects to to work on, or even um, at some point I was nannying. And I say that if, you know, I was a, if I wasn't working right now, I would probably, you know, be a barista at Starbucks or be like a homeschool helper because that's where the demand is right now. Right. But um, sorry, that's a tangent. <laughs> hey, I will just say that uh, when I started working at my first agency after being laid off uh, from a newspaper, I worked. Uh, I worked nights at uh, at a as a barista uh, at a Starbucks, and uh, I loved it. And I kept working there after starting at the agency, just because I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll suck at this whole like copywriting thing. <laughs> so I kept working there. And uh, I may have told this story before on the podcast, so apologies if so. But the only reason uh, that I quit my night job and quit working like. 14 hours a day uh, was because Adweek uh, let me start blogging for them. And I made more money writing a blog post than I did uh, working four hours as a barista every night. Um, but I mean, I think that hustle, it, you know, is something that, again, wasn't really, you didn't see it. It wasn't really necessary, to, you know, two decades, especially three decades ago. Um, but now it's it's vital. I wanted to, before we run out of time, I wanted to talk about a few, if, if people have made it this far into the podcast, I feel like we should reward them with some hot takes. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about what you think Gen Z is, you know, we've talked a little bit about the differences between Gen Z and, and millennials in terms of, uh, their behaviors, but I also think there's certain things that Gen Z is more comfortable talking about that they have pushed more into the mainstream. We've talked about some of that with things like Black Lives Matter and, and bringing politics into your work. Um, but I think there's a few others. Uh, Co, I'm, I'm certain you have thoughts because I think the millennials and people like Co have really driven this forward is mental health, uh, which is obviously something we've mentioned. A lot of the stigma of that, uh, even Gen X, my generation, we never talked about mental health, never talked about it. And, um, you know, and so it's something where only in the last, I think, 10 years has a lot of that stigma gone away. I think both in marketing and in social media, uh, sexuality, sex positivity is something that I see a lot more of from Gen Z, uh, which I think is really uplifting because I think the more transparency we have around that, the more safe everyone is and the more, uh, you know, we, we can – you see marketers now talking whether it's uh, the kind of really – like get, get moving away from all the dumb – metaphors in tampon and pad uh, advertising, which we've written about a lot in Adweek, and just saying, you know, words like vulva and vagina and talking about uh, just the, the, you know, just the realities and not putting everything behind this kind of soft language and having to hide things for propriety. Uh, but I'm curious, what do the rest of you think in terms of what has, what is Gen Z helping mainstream, helping normalize that maybe weren't part of the conversation before. And Co, I actually want to start with you because you might have a slightly better perspective as someone who straddles like a, you know these generations. Uh, what are you seeing them kind of move into the mainstream? 
Ooh. Um, by the way, if you're listening still, you will get a virtual sticker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, unlocked an achievement. <laughs> I mean, I I I think um, you know, more leaders are being more vulnerable, especially at this time. They're get, able to get more personal. Um, that's across generations. I think for Gen Z, I'm seeing, um, you know, and I'm inspired too, right, with being more opinionated, and that's okay, right? As a journalist, I was told to be objective, but it's okay to have opinions, um, especially in the realm of politics, um, and it's okay to share your um, active passions, whether you're volunteering to help save the environment or whatnot. Um, and especially with Black Lives Matters, um, you know, just having the boldness, you know, if we circle back to the beginning of the conversation, having that courage um, to not just say something, but to do something, right? Um, and not to share it in the way that millennials are accused of, of being, you know, like uh, self-promotional or whatever, um, that's, that's what I see. Um, Julian? Yeah, I definitely agree on it. Like, I think one of the big, biggest things with Gen Z is being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that really lets a lot of, uh, for social media managers, like let pushes, pushes out a lot of great campaigns that we've seen uh, online. So definitely being comf- uncomfortable with being uncomfortable is great because even though these topics may be taboo, a lot of people are thinking about it. A lot of people want to talk about it. And I think being kind of like a way for people to talk and join and talk about it, it's a great way to show that your your brand or company is on the know with the trends and is actively working on it. Emma, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think one of the biggest things that I've seen and noticed in addition to obviously mental health and being more involved in activism and politics and being more open about that is also being more open about money as well as privilege. And I definitely think millennials started this for sure, especially with the conversations around debt and the conversations around like, don't buy avocado toast or you can't buy a house because that really did start (laughs) with millennials. Um, But I'm definitely seeing that more and more with Gen Z. I'm seeing it with influencers and TikTokers and people who have even OnlyFans accounts who I follow on TikTok, just being more open about saying, this is how much I make a month. This is what I get from this. This is what I get from this. Talking about different revenue streams and different forms of income. I think that's really interesting and just breaking down those barriers because obviously money is one of the top stressors for everyone across all generations it's something that's so universal so just opening up the dialogue and continuing to do so especially with people who do influence the behavior and impact so many young people's lives I think is super super crucial and important and I think the other thing that I'm seeing a lot of conversation online about with Gen Z that I think is kind of permeating into other generations is conversation around privilege and being open and transparent about, hey, yeah, I struggle with mental health. And yeah, I'm technically a minority with my LGBTQ identity. But 
I also had parents who supported me through college and I had this and that. And so just being open about the different advantages and disadvantages you've had throughout life so people can understand that and interpret your statements and your experiences and what you say you've done online through that filter. I think that's also super important because I think in past generations, obviously, a lot of that information has been considered private and not something you have to share. And obviously you never do. But I think the acknowledgement that all these different factors do impact your life and your experiences. So sharing them does help a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. I think that has been something that's super impactful and I hope it continues. Oh, that's such a great point. Um, so tell us, uh, since we are pretty much out of time, uh, Emma, where can people find you, especially if they just want to throw lucrative job offers at you? Oh, well, I will take all the lucrative job offers. Um, I'm at Emma Havi, Emma H-A-V-I, on all the socials. And that's my website as well, EmmaHavi.com. Also, the podcast, Generation Slay, is on all the things. And at Generation Slay on all the platforms, it's it's easy. You can figure it out. I trust people. It'll be fine. <laughs> Julian, I'm not going to give anyone your contact info. No one is allowed to take you from Adweek. You're here forever. No free cloud. <laughs> <laughs> but where can they follow you? You do have a pretty amazing social media presence. So give us some plugs. Of course, yeah. You can find me on LinkedIn as Julian Gamboa. Or you can also find me on Twitter as at Julian Gumbo, G-U-M-B-O. Uh, and before we leave, you have, to, you have to tell the story behind one of your big viral moments here. When you summoned, I mean, it's like you cast a spell and summoned every social media manager on, on, you know, in creation. Tell us how you did that. Of course, yeah. So, for if you don't know, on February, I posted a Twitter uh, thread, which is like, "Hey, I I don't think this is gonna take off, but in case it does, tell me which social media manager you would like to meet." And I put out like, I'm the social media manager for Adweek, and I would love to meet the social media manager for Pokemon. And then we found Shaka, who manages Pokemon, pretty quickly, like three tweets in. And I was like, all right, that's it. Maybe I should delete the thread, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but then I, was, then I started seeing like more people jump in, like, hey, I manage uh, Aviation Gen, I major in Molina. I would love to meet the person behind, I'm pretty sure he put you porn. So that's Lily Dupier. Oh, um, Lily, yeah. So, I mean, now I'm really best friends with a lot of them on the thread and we hang out for like on Zoom. But yeah, the the tweet got, I, I believe, 400 replies, if not more. And it's just an amazing list of individuals who manage a lot of brands. And we can all, <laughs> now on Twitter, it's a more active space for me. And a lot of them have told me that it is for them as well. And we just share our pain, you know, of being a social media <laughs> manager on Twitter. So, We've built relationships off of that. Yeah, that thread, I remember I just was like literally following and just hitting follow, 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 follow. It's like it is a, a liquid gold uh, pot, you know, of a thread. Uh, Julian, thank you so much for joining us. You are a pleasure to work with, uh, and it's been such a delight to have you on the show. Thank you, David. I'll continue to send you memes late at night. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, like, what what people don't know is that, like, Julian never rests, like, as we have referenced several times, and he will send an idea for a meme, and I'll be like, well, first off, that's a great idea. Second, it's midnight on a Saturday, Julian. <laughs> but he's always so, happy but, to ha help me with my Spanish, too, so gracias. Julian. Un placer estar aquí, Co. Yes. 
And <laughs> Emma, thank you so much for um, spending some time with us. Um, and we wish you the best and the brightest of luck. Thank you. I will take all of it. All right. Uh, well, that's all the time we have this week, uh, but we had a blast. Be sure to find Emma and Julian and Co. Uh, she's uh, CoMTV on Twitter. Uh, and I'm Griner, G-R-I-N-E-R on Twitter. Uh, our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by CoM and edited by Lane McGivney. If you've not already, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever get your, you get your podcasts. Uh, those reviews mean a lot to us, and they help new listeners discover the show. You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. It's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week.